Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Um, wow. Um, over the years, we have um, been able to be involved in planting uh, churches taking a, a church from one service to two services, um, expanding that church into multiple locations, pastoring a, a campus of a multi-site church, and now leading um, a larger multi-site church. And every stage of the building is beautiful. Every stage of the process is important. And uh, what she just said, I think, is so valuable. What makes it work, no matter what stage you're at, is the connectedness and the pliability of the building materials. That's a powerful word. That is a powerful, powerful word. Well, this morning, um, as Jason mentioned, we've been able to walk with Jason Ellie at every stage of their life, and um, I just want you to know that we'll, we'll be a fixture at One Life. Um, this isn't the only time you're gonna see us because it's a continuation of a long journey, and uh, we're going to continue on that journey. So welcome. Glad you're here today. And uh, I'm glad to get the chance to share the word with you. I want to take a little bit of your time and, and look at um, two key portions of Scripture. And then I want to in- intersperse a number of other ones here this morning as well. And what I want to talk with you about is hunger for God's presence in the context of being a church that's marked by or a people of his presence. I know Jason and Ellie's heart. And I know the, the, the Scripture's heart, God's heart is to have a people um, who are marked by and distinguished by. It's a, it's a, it's a distinguishing indicator of his, pres- uh, of his people that they would be, be known as somebody that's just distinctly different. Yeah, right. There's something that marks your life. You're different. Yeah. Um, you're a people that are marked by the presence of the Lord. And um, I want to read a scripture in Exodus 25 that I think sets a little bit of the tone for this. And it's a snapshot of, of the mind of God towards his people at one particular point in history. And um, it says very specifically some things that could be said about God's relationship to man in Eden, God's relationship to man in Noah's day, in David's day, in Solomon's day. It could be said about every season of life and could be said about this day as well. But it's very specifically about God's interaction with Moses and about Moses' interaction with the people, what they would construct and what the purpose of that construction would be. And again, we're talking about people of his presence. Listen to this verse, Exodus 25, verses one to two, and then we'll read verses eight and nine and verse 22. It says, the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings. Accept the contributions from all those whose hearts are moved to offer them. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so that I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern that I will show you. And I will meet with you there. I will meet with you there. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so that I can dwell among them. That means that God wanted a distinction on his people's lives, and that would be that he, his presence would be right in the middle of them. Amen. They would be known for it. Yeah. People would be able to observe it. People would be able to see it. God is actually saying in this verse, my greatest desire 
is that my presence would be among my people. But not just my greatest desire, my greatest desire is that people's hearts would be stirred and willing to do whatever it takes to build a place for my presence to dwell. And if my people are willing, and my people will surrender, and my people will prepare a place, I will meet with you. And I want you to know there's a promise that God wants to bring to one life today. A promise, I'm gonna meet with you in Nampa, Idaho. I'm going to meet with you in Caldwell. I'm going to meet with you in Boise. I'm going to meet with you in all this surrounding region, but you've got to want it. You've got to want it. Now, people would read this verse and say, well, that's nice, but that's Old Testament. The Bible's very clear that the Old Testament was written for our learning. It was a natural pattern. By the way, that wasn't according to Manton's design. This pattern for Moses' tabernacle came from heaven. Moses said, I, 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 I don't know what to build. God said, I'm going to show you what to build. But you're going to need to do it exactly like I want. So, so the, the master builder that Paul is now in the New Testament, he didn't build according to his idea. He built according to the revelation that he got from heaven. So this is a model that we see throughout scriptures. We don't build according to our own agenda. We build according to God's design. Well, Many people throughout scripture pick that up. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden were told to build and multiply and expand the garden. What according to the relationship and the face-to-face presence relationship that they would have with God. Well, we understand the story. Sin messed it up. But the beauty of Moses' tabernacle is God said, I'm going to still make a way. And everything that Moses would do would foreshadow a day when Christ would come and be the ultimate tabernacle to release people back into a dimension where we wouldn't go to man-made tabernacles, man-made temples anymore. The presence of God would come and dwell in our hearts, and we would become the temple. So again, that's a little bit of Old Testament framework, but the reality is that even people of faith in the Old Testament had to learn how to be in the presence of God, even through the darkest of days. And that leads me to the second scripture that I wanna read here, just to set a foundation and a framework today about what will establish a place for the presence of God and mark us one life as a people, it's found in Psalm 63. And this is, this is David now, King David, given rulership of Jerusalem, but also built a tabernacle, built a place for the presence of God to dwell in the city of David. And listen to what he said. He said, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary. What is he talking about? He's talking about in the tabernacle, in the temple. David's temple was very different than than Moses, but it was still a place where he would go and minister before the Ark of the Covenant. I've seen you in the sanctuary and I beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, and I will, and with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. I, I want to put something in your hearts today, not only a vision for the presence of God, to be the Lego construction that's pliable and flexible meaning the people of God assembled together that Michael talked about, I I want you to see yourselves as the 
the, the building and the tabernacle of the Lord here in Nampa. But more than that, I want to impart what I see in David's heart, not just the building of a place, but the passion to usher in the presence of God. Hunger. Everybody say hunger. Hunger for God's presence. How do I cultivate spiritual hunger? How do I not only believe that his presence is supposed to dwell among us, but how do I cultivate hunger for God's presence? I, I don't know what your journey's been, but I myself have had many times over the course of my life where I've encountered the presence of God. I remember a number of years ago, um, I was pastoring in the city of Centralia, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me very clearly that I was to pick up the burden for the presence of God um, like I heard from my spiritual fathers and to carry it in my generation. And I, I took out a, a card and I wrote it to Pastor Dick Iverson, who was the founder of the church that I now pastor. And I wrote it to him and I said, for whatever it is worth, I feel the burden to make sure that the presence of God is known in my generation. And wherever the roots of that started for you, I just want you to know it's gonna carry on in the next generation. I wanna be like David in my generation. And I, I wrote him this card and sent it to him and three days later I get this call from his assistant and his assistant said, Pastor Iverson got your card and he wants you to travel with him to Ireland because Ireland is the place where it all kind of began for him. And so I found myself two weeks later on a plane going with Pastor Iverson to Ireland and went to this little town called Enniskillen. And in Enniskillen is a hall called Iverson Hall. And he said, Daryl, this is where miracles broke out in my life for the first time. And I got to stand in the place where, where it all started. For him, crowds of more than 3,000 people gathered in Ireland in this religious nation that was fairly stoic and he told me stories of blind eyes that opened and crutches that were left at the altar. He told me stories where people came in in wheelchairs and got up and walked out in their own strength. He said, Daryl, this is where the presence of God met me for the first time. I got to stand in that place and hear that story and I said, God, I want that in my generation. I want that in my day. I, I went to India in the early 90s and I was praying for people at the altar to be filled with the Holy Spirit and pray that they would receive a prayer language and be able to speak in tongues. And as I was praying, a man who knew no English began to speak in English. Now you think that might be strange, but read the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that people from other cities heard uh, those people who were filled speak in their very dialect from their language. And by the way, these were uneducated men who were speaking in other languages. When the presence of God comes and when the Holy Spirit fills a room, supernatural things take place. Supernatural things take place. The words that I heard this Indian man say was simply this. He said, now I am a completed man. And he began to give glory to God. So God, I give you all praise. God, I give you all glory. And I heard him speaking this and then he went off into other tongues that I didn't understand. But I knew something supernatural happened in his life that day. I've been in meetings where the presence of God touched my life in such a way I began to weep. Other times I felt like I couldn't even speak and I just had to stand or sit in silence because I felt the presence of God in such a real way. 
I've been in business transactions where I've gotten all the way to decisions and I felt a check in my spirit and I just knew the presence of God is speaking to me right now and I can't go that direction. You see, the presence of God doesn't come in the same way in every season and at every moment, but I'll tell you the presence of God is real and he wants to dwell among his people. Sometimes it's supernatural languages. Sometimes it's, it's miracles and signs and wonders. Sometimes it's in silence, a sense of just knowing the presence of God is here. One of the things that I think that plagues the church is we start to put a standard of what the presence of God actually looks like in a believer's life, and some people feel guilty because they never experience what somebody else felt. And other people set up something as a pinnacle and say, well, if we don't have that, then it's not really God. Can I tell you? You need to just kind of wipe it all away and just let the Bible define what does the presence of God look like. It starts as an intimate encounter where you just know, I sense the presence of God. I know he's here. You might not even feel it, but I want you to know something. The Bible says when we're sons and daughters, his spirit, as Ellie said this morning, actually connects with and inhabits our spirit. There's something so powerful that happens and the first dimension of the presence of God is he bears witness according to the book of Galatians with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God. So where does the presence of God all begin? It begins at salvation when his presence fills your life and he says, you're my son, you're my daughter. But that's the beginning of a whole new journey of constructing a place for the presence of God to dwell in our life. Last summer, we took our youth to camp in Central Oregon. We do this every year. And one night during worship, as we just begin to linger and sing in the presence of God, I felt a wind come into the room and I I started to look around. I thought maybe somebody left the door open and there was no door open and I just felt it. Hair started to stand up on my arms and I thought, man, something powerful is here. And as I started to transition the service, I said, I don't know what this is, but I felt a wind enter the room. And I said, if you felt that, I just felt so stirred, if you felt that, lift your hand. And there had to have been 50 hands lifted all over the room. Again, I'm just telling you a story, an example of a moment where the presence of God was real. The Bible promises these things. Acts 3, verse 19, listen to this verse. It says, repent and return so that your sins might be wiped away in order that times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord. Times of visitation, times where the spiritually dry can drink. Acts 2, verses 17 and 19 says, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I'll cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. The Bible starts with man in a garden in the presence of God. And the Bible ends in a city, the new Jerusalem coming down from above both in the presence of God. And the Bible says in the book of Revelations at the end, it says, look, his home is now among his people. I'll live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. God starts with his people and he ends with his people. His presence in and among 
his people and at every step of the way he promises and he's given us models and examples and times of visitation saying, I just wanna be with you. At the same time he asked the question, do you wanna be with me? Do you have hunger for, for my presence? Will you build according to the pattern? Will you assemble? Will you cry out? Will you ask? Will you seek? Will you knock? I think what I learn when I read about David and I, I read about Moses and he says, receive an offering and build, but only if people's hearts are willing. What I learn at every step of the way is this simple principle and that is that God's presence comes where he's wanted. God's presence comes where he's wanted. And I think one life, I believe God would, would put it in our hearts today as a church to say this house is gonna be known as a house that desires and hungers and seeks after the presence of the Lord. Miracles and signs and, and wonders and presence and anointing and direction and prophecy and, 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 and visitation. There's just gotta be a longing for the presence of God. God, we need to hear your voice more than anything else. God, the world is crumbling around us. Darkness is getting darker, but God, your presence invading the darkness is what we've got to have. There's gotta be a longing and a hunger that begins to awaken in the church. And when I, when I look throughout history, whether it's Ireland, whether it's India, whether it's Manor House in the 90s, where a time of visitation swept into the church at every instance, people's hearts were stirred and turned towards the Lord. The truth is God won't come where people are not hungry. He'll bypass a hundred lukewarm congregations to find one group of people whose hearts are turned towards him. And you know the beauty about the presence of God when I look throughout history is it doesn't matter what kind of congregation it is. It doesn't matter their systems or their buildings. It doesn't matter their education level. Whether they wanna know God, find freedom, discover purpose and make a difference or whether they don't have a mantra at all. The bottom line is are people hungry? That's the simple question. Calvinist congregations can feel the presence of the Lord. Armenians have encounters with the presence of the Lord. High church, casual church, excellent church, sloppy church. All of those churches encounter the presence of God if they're hungry, if they want it. God at different times in structured denominations and loosely affiliated fellowships. Robes and jeans. We put too much time into formula. Do we need order? Yes, Paul said that. Do we need structure? Yes. Do we need government? Yes. But at the end of the day, all of those things without presence is nothing. It's form, it's ritual. It's structure without power. It's ideas without relationship. It's attendance without anointing. And I think there's something that the Lord wants to do to ignite hunger in the church. And I know I'm driving at a point where you say, Daryl, we get it, we got it. But I don't know that we always do. I'm preaching to myself as well, spiritual hunger, how do I know 
if the hunger in my own life has left or waned? It's a deeper question that people like us have to ask because the longer we serve God, the more stuff we acquire, the more excellent we become, the more likely we are to say, look what I've built. I pastor a church that's over 70 years old in five locations and millions of dollars in property and a large staff and history and books and publishing and on and on. And I told our staff this week, our greatest strength as a church is our legacy and the resource that God has given us. It's one of our greatest strengths and our greatest weakness is our legacy and our buildings and our, our stuff. Because the second you get some stuff, you say, look what I did. And then by sheer grit and determination, you continue to work the stuff. And a lot of times it looks like presence and all it is is form and ritual. I don't want form and ritual, I want power. Come on, I want the presence of God to be real in my life. What if a move of God isn't forefront in your mind? What if you feel like God has passed you by? What if you feel like you're spiritual dry? How do I rekindle the fire of God, the presence of God? How do we, as One Life Church, actually create spiritual hunger as a community? How do we welcome the presence of God? How do we entertain the presence of God? How do we host the presence of God? How do we create an atmosphere where the presence of God says, oh, that's the hungry church. That's the place where I know their hearts are willing. I think Psalm 63 gives us some keys. I think David's life gives us some keys because he's, David is is king, but David has been through one of the darkest times of his life. When you go to Psalm 63, um, you, you might assume that because David is king and has all authority and all power in Jerusalem, that he's sitting on his throne. I I said this to the the team this morning in chapel. You might assume he's sitting on his throne with scepter in his hand, servants on every side, ready to make his decree, and he, he whispers to his assistant and says, I feel an anointing for Psalm 63 coming on. Would you would you come and bring a minstrel and let me begin to sing? And he sings and the scribe writes Psalm 63. That was not the setting at all. David's son, Absalom, had tried to steal his kingdom away by control and power, by manipulation. And David was running for his life. He ran to the airport, paid $49 for a Spirit Airlines ticket, (laughs) took life into his own hands. He flew to Reno. Nobody goes to Reno anymore, but he flew there. He had $19 left and he got a Motel 7. It's not even a Motel 6. They don't even, it's just some roadside motel. He, he paid the fee and he went into the room and he flipped on the light and there were three light bulbs in a light and only one of them came on, right? That was the kind of environment that he was in. He sat down and cockroaches scurried and... And he said, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. 
I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. The only way he could describe his life at that moment was this is the darkest days of my life. It's as if I want a drink and I can't. There's no water to be found. I'm in the middle of the desert. But Lord, I have seen you. I, I was in the sanctuary one time before. And, and here's, here's what I find. If, if you want to know how to rekindle spiritual passion, or maybe for the first time, the first thing that you have to do is look at your life and realize the dryness, the gap, the thing that's in your life that's creating some space, the place in your life that you didn't think you would be in. It's not meant to wipe you out. It's meant to be a gift. I would even say it this way. The gap is the gift. If you want to rekindle hunger, you've got to go to the dark places in your life that you have tried to put a Band-Aid over the top of and pretend that they don't exist. And you move on and you stay in church attendance mode but underneath, there's a place of unresolved angst that you just say, you know, that's a place, God, I don't want to talk about. I don't want to talk about the abuse. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about the rejection. I don't want to talk about the abandonment. I don't, want to, I don't want to talk about the dryness, Lord. I'll go through the motions. I'll even believe, but I'll believe for somebody else. My days, my days, they've been impacted by that, but I don't want to talk about it. I, I'll be honest with you, the last three years in my wife and I's life have been some of the darkest days. Just over two years ago, our daughter Mariah um, started to deal with a series of headaches that turned into memory trouble, that turned into confusion, inability to put thoughts together. She started to stumble walking down the hallway, eventually seven days of migraine. Picked her up off the couch, took her to the dock. We had been to the dock five days, five times that week, either on the phone or in person, and everybody just kept wanting to give her pills and tell her you're, you're a young girl with hormonal issues and just go back home again. Um, no compassion, no empathy. And after the fifth time of taking her to the doctor, I found this sweet female doctor who actually had compassion on her and looked at me and she said, um, I'll either call the ambulance or you can take her to the ER, but she needs a brain scan. Something is wrong. We took her into the ER and they did a scan and they came back with a mass in the middle of her brain that we've been on the journey of the most aggressive, rare form of cancer um, to two brain surgeries and the trauma in the family and everything that we've been on. They gave her six months to live and we are two and a half years later. Come on, we're two and a half years later. In the midst of that, my youngest son who um, did not handle the journey well, had some friends that started to give him some pills just to kind of level out and try to maintain um, his own functional ability to get through life, started to pop some oxy and some different things, one day gets something laced with fentanyl and ends up on life support for three days. 
And um, we, somehow in the midst of it, felt the grace and the presence of God enter every moment in every season. And I will tell you, looking back over the last two and a half years, I wouldn't trade the gap, that crisis point in our life. The point where we sat on the bed and said, I think we're gonna lose our daughter, and now I think we're gonna lose our son. I think that we're in the biggest crisis of our life. And I realized in the middle of it and throughout the journey that somehow in it there's a gift, there's something that's beautiful in it. The presence of God, he wants to invade every space. He, he wants to solidify some things. And what happened in us is we ended up realizing in the gap that the Lord wanted to remind us that he's victorious over death. And that even when we die, our bodies are gonna be resurrected because Christ as the first fruits has gone before us and broke the power of death. And here's what I realized in the middle of it, is that some people's faith level only goes as deep as the doctrine of miracles. That's where their doctrine of presence goes to, is when somebody's sick, they pray for healing. And they contend for healing. And can I tell you, that's the right thing to do. But I watch people shipwreck their faith when they don't get the miracle. And then in that gap, they have to put a Band-Aid over it or they, they, they leave the church, they abandon their faith, and they say, we don't know what to do with this crisis in our life. And what we purpose to do was to say, we're gonna go deeper than the doctrine of miracles. What's deeper than miracles? And we realize what's deeper than miracles is the doctrine of the resurrection. And so we could still have faith all the way in the journey to death. Now, you might say, Terrell, you're talking crazy talk. It is, it's a faith walk. And it's a walk that says, I'll go all the way to the end in faith. I'll go all the way to the end in presence, knowing that there's not one thing in life or death that will separate me from the love of God. And no matter what you're up against, the gap can become a gift. If you'll turn your attention towards the Lord. And that's what David did in Psalm 63 as he said, oh, earnestly, God, I'm gonna seek you. Oh God, you are my God. He's put us in places where there's a gap and in that place he wants to draw out, where have you attached your faith? How deep is your root system? But then the other thing he wants us to do is he wants us to examine and understand and even align our longings. He wants to, us to examine, to understand, and align our longings. You have to dig around under the surface. And you have to interrogate and investigate what you really want. You have to ask the question, what do you really want? I had to ask myself the question over these last couple of years, Daryl, what do you really want? Do you want position? Do you want good services? Do you want people to affirm you as a good public speaker? Do you want a miracle so that somehow you can like launch your book tour, like Daryl, what do you want? And I realized what I wanted is I wanted God to be glorified in my life. I wanted God to be glorified in my daughter's sickness. I wanted God to be glorified in my marriage. I wanted the presence of God to be real no matter how dark the days got. I had to dig around in my motives. 
I had to dig around and ask myself some really hard questions. Do you, do you want the miracle so that you don't have to feel the pain? Like you're just trying to escape from something so that you can have the American dream? Or, or do you just want the presence of God right in the middle of the crisis because his presence is better than life? God, I just want your presence. God, I'm in the midst of the darkest days of my life, but I just want your presence. A blind man was sitting by the side of the road and he heard Jesus was in town and he yelled at the top of his lungs, son of David, have mercy on me. Everybody told him to be quiet, but Jesus stopped to listen. And he asked a question that seems really, really weird. What do you want? What do you want? Jesus dealt with people this way because he wanted to get down under the surface. Oh, I can see you're blind. I can see what you might could like, but what do you really want? What do you really want? I want to draw out what's under the surface. Psalm 63 verse 3 says this. It says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Love better than life. That's a really deep statement. God, because your presence is more than what makes me comfortable. Let me tell you what David was saying in this moment. He was saying, I'm not asking you to restore my kingdom. I'm not asking you to give my scepter back. I'm not asking you to judge my son. I'm not asking for my political power and position back. I'm not asking for my fortune. I'm not asking you to recover my kingly crown. I'm just asking you to listen to my praise. I'm asking you to listen to my praise. God, your love your love that's felt, your love that's known, your love that's experienced, your love that's revealed, your love that's, that's sensed and known. It's just better than life. It's better than my crown. It's better than anything. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm kind of at a place in my journey because I've been through some things like David where I realize that I think I started to buy an idea of church that's ungodly. And I'm gonna just be honest with you about something. I would evangelize by saying, come to church, I think you'll like our music. But what happens when the music isn't good? Maybe I should teach people about how to love the presence of God more than they love good music. Should music be good? Yes. But the presence of God should be better. I, Come to Jesus, he'll meet all your needs. Will he? Whose definition of need? Oh, that's good. That's good. Because I, I thought I needed <laughs> no pain. But evidently, God wanted to meet me in pain. Right. There's things I think I need, but God says, no, some of your cry is actually self-serving. And in order for me to meet that need, you would need to cultivate yourself even more. I think what God wants to do is actually go deeper and say, align your longings to me. Want me more than you want anything else. And let everything else flow after that. Reorder your priority. Reorder your priority. Psalm 63 verse five says it this way. It says, I'll be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing 
My lips will praise you. David's describing the kind of fullness that you get after Thanksgiving where you just kind of want to go lay down on the couch. (laughs) Enough turkey, enough potatoes, enough stuffing. It's kind of, oh, no, there's a little room for sweet potatoes with marshmallows on top, right? So this is... The third thing as we start to wind down is that to rekindle the presence of God and and hunger for the presence of God, we need to experience the satisfaction of God's love. Experience the satisfaction. Listen to David's words again. Because your love is better than life, I'll be fully satisfied. I'll be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Do I have any foodies in the room? Do I have anybody that just loves good food? Come on, just wave at me. The word fully satisfied is had enough to eat or drink. It means to be enriched. Your love is better than life, and I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. Are are you so filled with the love of God that you'd say, I am full? I am satisfied. I think what God is looking for in his bride is a people who say, I am daily experiencing through surrender a level of satisfaction in God's love where I don't, I don't need to look to promote self. I don't need to look to fulfill my own agenda. I actually am just satisfied in his presence. Psalm 36 says it this way. It says, how priceless is your unfailing love. Oh God, people take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. I'm not sure that this part of Idaho can truly understand church can truly understand the phrase, I'm a Christian, in this kind of a way, unless some group of people start to so hunger for the presence of God that they experience him and they're satisfied in him and can begin to show people what it looks like. When people say church or Christian, they think building. They think um, program. They think service. Sometimes they think entertainment. But I think what God is looking for is a people who he can dwell among. A people who say, I am deeply satisfied in God's love. George Mueller says it this way, the chief duty of the Christian is to make their heart glad in the Lord. The chief duty. The primary duty. So the question in the morning is, Lord, I want to be in your presence. I want want my heart to be glad only in you. Not in my task list of the day. God, not in the absence of pain, not in my ability to perform, God, in you, in the midst of all of those things. God, that is my chief duty. That is my chief aim. Lamentations 3, verse 25. Here's three verses that speak to this. And and, uh, as I read these, the band can go ahead and come back up. Lamentations 3, verse 25 says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks for him. Waiting and seeking. 
Micah 7, 7 says, but as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord and I'll wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. God, I wait for you. I wait for the God of my salvation. God, I believe you will hear me. Psalms 130 says, my soul waits for the Lord more than uh, the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. What a concept. People ask me, Daryl, how do you spend time in the presence of the Lord? Really, how, how are you satisfied in his love? I just get my carcass out of bed and I get into his presence and say, God, I need you more than life itself. That's where it starts. I, I heard somebody say, just get a cup of coffee and slide it under your bed the night before. Get an ember cup so it stays hot and just like get out of bed onto your knees. Just get there. When we paint a picture of what we think experiencing the love of God looks like, um, we, we need to reduce it down to the basics. Just get there. Just get to a posture and say, God, I need your presence in my life. God, I'm in the darkest days of my life. I just, your love is better than life. God, my lips are gonna praise you even though they don't want to. God, I'm gonna let the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice and I'll tell you what will happen is it might, might start with just the practice, but it'll turn into a relationship. And if people would hunger after him, and you come to church not to be entertained, but come to give glory to the Lord, to build him a tabernacle, Lord, my heart is willing, I wanna be in your presence. You're in the darkest days of your life, and you say, God, I'm gonna even peel back the Band-Aid a little bit, I'm gonna let you into that spot, it's dark, but God, more than life itself, I just want to be in your presence. Maybe it means stripping perfectionism back. Maybe it, maybe it means opening the word and just allowing a little time to marinate in his love. And as you do, what, what step we need to take is the very last thing. We need to stir up and even normalize spiritual passion. Stir it up and normalize it. It's, it's normal to talk about God invading the difficult places of my life. It's normal to talk about how God showed up and what he did in your life in the midst of traumatic experiences. It's normal to talk about asking for him to bring breakthrough provision in a moment of lack. It's it's normal to pray and cry out to the Lord in a time of spiritual dryness and say, God, even though it's dry, I long for you. And to hear people cry out to the Lord in the midst of spiritual dryness and earth. We stir it up and we normalize it. And like Psalm 63 verse one said, we read it a little bit ago, I'm gonna read it one more time. God, you are my God earnestly. I seek for you, I thirst for you with my whole being. It longs for you. Those three words, earnestly, thirsting, longing, those are words of passion. Those are, are words of perseverance. Those are words of being lit on fire by the presence of God and saying, God, I'm gonna be consumed with hunger for you. 
The Holy Spirit is wind in the scripture, is fire, is rain. I've heard my whole life, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. Oh, just, he'll, he, he, won't, he won't mess you up. Don't worry about it. The problem is that that's not true. <laughs> he blows into rooms like wind. He baptizes in fire and people think they're drunk. The apostles walk into cities and their shadows start raising sick people up. A city's economy is turned upside down because lost people in the marketplace got saved and started burning their witchcraft books. The Holy Spirit is like a wrecking ball when he shows up in your life. And he takes the brokenness of children that are very, very sick, and he says, I want to go deeper in your life. God, that seems unfair. No, it's actually my love working in your life. I'm going to take what the enemy means for evil, and I'm going to take you to a new level of experiencing and encountering my love. And that's where God takes that dark thing, and he turns it around and brings good out of it. It might not be according to your plan, but a church that wants the presence of God more than life allows God to take them places they never would have been apart from his intervention in their life. So we gotta stir up some spiritual passion, church. We gotta stir it up, we've gotta crank it up and say, God, even in the midst of my dark time, I want you. Come on, I want you more than life itself. Come on, stand to your feet this morning. Come on, stand to your feet, I want it more than life itself. One more time, I'm gonna read the scripture. God, you are my God, earnestly. Everybody say earnestly. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you. Everybody say thirst. I thirst for you. God, with my whole being, I long for you. Everybody say, long. God, I long for you. Come on, we're going to awaken spiritual passion right now in this place for a new touch of the love and the presence of God with every hand lifted across this place. Come on, with every hand lifted. God, I pray for an awakening. God, of your truth, of your word, of your love. God, I don't know what people are up against right now, but I know, God, you're there to meet with them in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of that difficulty. Lord, you're gonna take them to a place that's deeper, a place that's wider, a place that's richer. So God, we're gonna say the gap is the gift. We wanna encounter and experience your love. We're gonna stir up spiritual passion and we're gonna run hard after you. So God, visit One Life Church. Come on, visit One Life Church in a whole new way. God, visit this place with your freshness, with your power. God, with a new anointing. God, with a, a saturating wave of love. God, the love of God, move in this place in Jesus' name. Come on, with every voice, we're gonna sing this song to him. And no matter what you're up against right now, we're just gonna declare that he is good and we're gonna awaken, come on, a spiritual hunger for him. Come on, just begin to sing right now, every voice. Let's just sing to him.